Three of the four row teams won in the NBA playing tournament with the Lakers coming this close to being the fourth. What we've gained from the past couple of nights heading into the weekend where the playoffs will begin. I'll have a preview of what lies ahead. The Islanders avoided an embarrassment on Monday in Washington thanks to the Blackhawks on Tuesday night in Pittsburgh as they clinch a playoff spot. Who they'll play is another question altogether that I'll unpack. The Rays continue their torrid start as they look to make it a baker's dozen this afternoon versus the Red Sox. When will this streak come to its conclusion? Plus a couple of things cooking in the NFL with the draft just two weeks away. The weather is heating up in my neck of the woods, but the sports universe is always on fire as I spread the heat through your earbuds, headphones, or speakers. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael? People, greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. It's an exciting time as a new playoff season is about to commence with the fall and winter sports, as well as what's happening on the diamond and anything else that's going on. I got you covered as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And yes, the weather is getting warm over the next three days here in the Northeast. It's going to feel like summer. Mid to upper 80s, maybe even 90 by the end of today. And yes, do I welcome it with open arms? Absolutely. I understand it's a little early. It's only what? April 13th. But you know I'll take it. And I know the temperature is going to dive back down into the upper 50s and low 60s. But If you're in the Northeast, and especially in this area of the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, enjoy it. Because before you know it, it's going to be gone, even though summer's still on the horizon, etc. And spring has pretty much just begun. But with that being said, that's the one thing we love about spring and love this time of the year. Because you have the baseball season, which we all know is off and running, especially if you're down in Tampa. As we'll get into the Rays later on. Also, the NHL, where the postseason will begin on Monday, and the Islanders have clinched the spot. You know I'm going to spend a few minutes on that. But the NBA playing tournament, and I've been one that has not been in favor of this. I get it ever since the pandemic, and that was a special year, so you knew that they were going to try to 
manipulate or at least get as many teams in as possible just to make up the time that was lost due to the pandemic when they reconvened there in late July down in the bubble. And since then, we've had three years of this. And I must honestly say that have I warmed up to it 100%? I cannot. But when you look at what happened here over the past two nights, it just shows you that, as we all know in sports, anything could happen. We understand the old football adage on any given Sunday. And though that does not apply to basketball because we all know it's a marathon not a sprint but with these three days or four days because there is a day off today and you're going to have the final two playing games before we get to the postseason there on Saturday but what we've witnessed here over the past two nights to think that we had almost all four home teams lose and the one home team that stuck it out and was able to get past the finish line by the hairs of their chinny-chin-chin with the Los Angeles Lakers. And I was going to start there, but I want to start with the games last night before I talk about the Lakers. And I understand they're a bigger story. I get it that they are the Lakers, and we could quibble about whether or not we should begin with them. But I want to talk about last night's games in particular for these two reasons. One, the Toronto Raptors and... I get it that they're not the sexy team. Yes, they have won a championship in the last five years. May as well feel like five decades ago, considering Kawhi Leonard was on the team for the one year and the bounce that they got off the rim against the Sixers there in that conference semifinal and then beating the Golden State Warriors, the three games that they won on the road in the old Oracle Center before they moved across the bay to the Chase Center. But for the Raptors... And not knowing what the next move is going to be if you're the coach, Nick Nurse, who has flirted with the talks of maybe taking a year off prior to the end of this regular season. Not knowing if this organization is going to be in flux. I think that you're going to have the possibility of having to bring in another coach if Nurse decides to take a year off or step down or go to TV or whatever he wants to do. But the Raptors do have a decent foundation They do have some players there that you can work with. But as we all know, in the grand scheme of things, Toronto, who did win a championship, and we could, to a certain extent, say they got lucky because they did not face a healthy Kevin Durant in the final, which they probably would have lost if he was on the team and playing night in, night out throughout that series. But the Raptors had a brutal home loss last night to where they were in control. They led pretty much throughout. And then the heroics of Zach Levine scoring 39 and their free throw shooting, the Raptors that is, went right in the toilet and pretty much doomed them in that final frame to where they end up losing 109-105. They actually had a chance to tie the game on a Fred Van Vliet three-pointer, which did not go in, and Van Vliet had a very good game himself. But the Raptors are going to be wondering whether or not, into this offseason, how they squandered an opportunity to at least go to Miami to have a chance to get into the postseason. Not to say that they were going to do much once they had the opportunity because they're going to be, they would have been, I should say, an eighth seed to have to play the Milwaukee Bucks. And we all know that that would have been just a tall order for them to even pull off one victory, let alone an upset. But for Toronto, that was just a brutal second half where they had a 19-point lead and they let it squander all the way down. And we get it, 19-point leads in the NBA aren't huge. We've seen teams come back from 23, 24, even 28 points during the regular season. And 
it is no small feat for a team to make a long comeback, even if it is in a second half of a game where they pretty much had the game in hand and didn't think that the home crowd, that they would flinch and give up the lead and then have, like I mentioned, Zach Levine just take over and where the Bulls were victorious and they're going to take a flight down to Miami to play tomorrow night in one of the two playing games. So that's number one. Number two are the New Orleans Pelicans. And yes, let's give credit to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I actually picked them to win because I thought with their young nucleus and they're a team that's on the rise. I get it. They may not go far this year. They may not even get past Minnesota there tomorrow night. But I would think that when we get to the latter part of this decade, that the Oklahoma City Thunder, yes, one more time, OKC is going to be a force to be reckoned with, not only in the Western Conference, but throughout the entire league. They have the two players there that you could bank on, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who had another great second half, contributed, and is the leader of that team. Josh Giddy almost had a triple-double last night. What do you have, 30, 12, and 9, I believe it was. And then you also chip in Lou Dort, who's a glue guy. And with all the number one picks that they have, going back to the trade with Paul George and a few other trades that they made along the way, and they have an opportunity to gain some valuable experience if they go to the Twin Cities and beat a frazzled Minnesota Timberwolves team. And even though they may be sacrificial lambs to the Denver Nuggets come playoff time on Sunday, but I would think that this trajectory starts now and that the window for this organization is just being cracked open. So I want to give kudos to them. But the New Orleans Pelicans are the other story because here was a team that made the postseason last year as an eighth seed. Here's a team that was supposed to be on the rise and with Zion Williamson and their young coach Willie Green, Brandon Ingram, we could go through their roster and granted that they did have a home game last night and they were doing their best to stay in the game to try to see if they could somehow, some way, pull out the victory and be able to go to Minnesota instead of Oklahoma City. And as it was, that was foiled big time. And I'm not going to say it's completely on the shoulders of Zion Williamson, but the reason why I bring him up is because early in the week, he was quoted as saying that he was physically fine. But he didn't want to go out there because he wasn't ready to be quote-unquote Zion. Now we could say, what does that absolutely mean? We know that when he is healthy, he could be a dominant force, not only for the Pelicans, but throughout the NBA. But as we've seen here in the few years that he's been down at the Big Easy, he has not A, stayed healthy. Yes, we have seen flashes, but if you're physically fine, as he stated, and you're not going to at least put out an attempt to suit up, to warm up, and give it your all, to see what you could do as not only a guy who was paid handsomely with a four-year, $196 million deal, but also the future face of the franchise on top of potentially being a future face of the league. And for him to just take a back seat, not only to the organization, the coaching staff, the fans, not just the New Orleans, but the NBA fan overall, but what about the guys in his own locker room? That is just a terrible job. And I haven't heard from anybody anywhere say anything about Zion. And I know that the current player, or I should say the current player, the 
former player that's on a platform, whether TV, radio, podcast, etc., they're not going to slaughter Zion. But as a fan, if you hear from the horse's mouth that he said that he's physically fine, but, oh, no, I'm just not 100%, I'm not Zion ready, come on. You got to at least put forth an effort. At least just be able to warm up and see what you're capable of doing. I get it that you don't have the explosiveness. You may not be 100% confident or feel that psychologically ready to go ahead and play in an NBA game. But guess what? We have to really question whether or not what's not only between his ears, but what's in his chest. Because when we think about the greats of the game, when we think about the Jordan flu game in the finals, when we think about Kobe and everything that he's done throughout his illustrious career, and before people say, oh, oh, Jay Reels, you're talking about outliers. You're talking about two of the greatest in the game. Well, Zion Williamson, as I mentioned before, he's a guy that coming into the league was supposed to take it by storm. The potential face of this league, once LeBron finally leaves his lofty perch as being the best player of this generation, he was that guy at Duke. He was that guy coming into this league. He has not shown anything close to being that type of guy here in the NBA. And we understand that he has injuries and he's a big man and maybe he has to change up his training or be a little bit more flexible, maybe a little yoga, who knows? Maybe he has done that, I don't know. But the point of me bringing this up is because this guy is ballyhooed as the next great player, as the game's next biggest star. And we understand health is a huge component of that. But if he said that he's physically ready to play, and psychologically or spiritually, mentally, he's not, that is an enormous question mark for a guy that's supposed to lead this franchise to bigger heights. And to think, if he was actually maybe in the game, played 10, 15 minutes, and not only for his teammates, but maybe even for the crowd who purchased a ticket to get into that building, maybe that would have been the difference for them to win that game and to take a trip to Minnesota for an opportunity to make it into the postseason. So I had to get on Zion. I had to get on that horse because I wasn't going to let that go. If he would have said, I'm not ready, guys. Yes, I'm about 75%. And we could even question 75% or not, but okay, fine. But this is the postseason, or this is the playing tournament to lead into the postseason. Don't you want to give it a little bit of a shot or just a shot altogether to see where you stack, to see where you could fit in? And I understand he's not going to attack the basket or try to make those splash plays. And I understand he doesn't want to hurt his team if he can't do that, but he can pass. And I understand his shooting is streaky, but give it a go. Come on. What are you saying to the guys in your locker room, to the fans that watch, to your organization by saying that, yes, I can play, but I'm not 100% ready to play. That's my point. Now let's get to the Lakers. And boy, did they dodge a missile there on Tuesday night. And I will say this, for Anthony Davis to foul Mike Conley there with .1 second remaining, and give it up for Conley, he's a vet, he's been around the block a few times, for him to sink those three free throws, including that first one, which hit the front of the rim and had to bounce up, and a couple of times before it went through, boy, that was as clutch as you could possibly get in a spot like that when they needed each and every one of those free throws. 
But the Lakers, who were down in the game, they were down as many as 15 in the third quarter, down seven going into the final frame, and they were able to pull it out. And as much as we could talk about the Lakers, how they had to sweat that one out, how they were lucky to get out of that game alive, and that they're going to go to Memphis to play on Sunday in round one, yes, we could say all that, but I don't know if they're going to be long for this postseason And I don't want to base it just on that one game because it's not as if Minnesota are a bunch of world beaters in their own right. But Memphis, now can they be had? I think they can, and we'll get into that in a minute. But the Lakers certainly have to count their lucky stars. They played very well throughout the month of March and into April, and they deserve it. They don't have to wonder or worry about having to play an elimination game come Friday night. And that was the one thing that they needed to avoid big time if they were to have plans of making any type of run here come Sunday afternoon. But as it is, the Lakers, and for everything that has transpired throughout the course of the year, them starting 2-10, and 10, getting Russell Westbrook off the team, bringing in guys like D'Angelo Russell and Mo Bamba and having to change it up on the fly to having that big run there in March into April, and now they could take a giant deep breath, regroup, and see where they stack up against the Memphis Grizzlies in round one. And as far as the Heat and Hawks, give it up to the Hawks. They were steady, maybe not spectacular, but they completely beat the Heat from start to finish, out-rebounded them, which was the big part of the game, by 24 rebounds, including 21 by Clint Capella. You had your contributions, Trey Young, who had nightmares against the Heat in round one last year, if you recall, was able to get his shot off, was able to facilitate as well. DeJounte Murray also made a contribution himself, and the Hawks were no doubt the better team there on Tuesday night, and the Heat, who have their tail between their legs going into tomorrow night, and I have a big question on whether or not they're going to get through that game. And I'll talk about that in a second. But for the Hawks, give it up. They'll go to Boston Saturday afternoon to start off their postseason. And the Heat, this is going to be a big test. And I'm not trying to make out the Bulls to be the Jordan Bulls of the 90s by any stretch. But for a team that was literally a Jimmy Butler 3 from going to the finals last year and had to struggle from start to finish during this NBA season, now it's all up to these 48 minutes in their building come Friday night. And we all know that that FTX, well now the former American Airlines Arena, now whatever, it's Miami Dade Center, I think it's called, that is not a strong home court by any stretch. And you know that those fans down there are a bunch of front runners. And who knows what it's going to be like come Friday, whether or not the, the lower bowl is going to be filled Yes, I'm sure you're going to see some celebrities. Yes, my guy DJ Khaled, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, I'm sure he's going to be there with his newly minted Jordans on two pillows as he rests himself while he's texting as the game is going on. But with that aside, I would think that the Heat, you talk about tremendous pressure just to get to the playoffs, it is all on them. And Jimmy Butler said, we need a reversal of fortune here come Friday night if we're going to be one of the final eight teams or at least the eighth team standing there in the Eastern Conference to see how they will match up against the Milwaukee Bucks in round one. And I got news for you. 
I would think that the Heat will, and I'm just going based on reputation, that they'll win. But the Bulls, they have some gas in their tank. And even though the Heat have an extra day, but I wonder whether or not for a player and man-to-man in that locker room, whether or not they have enough belief to get past this game come Friday night. My gut says I think they will, but I will not be shocked if the Bulls win. And I will say this for the Timberwolves. We know that the turmoil they had over the last few days, and I would think Rudy Gobert, who had the one-game suspension based on what happened with Kyle Anderson on the bench there in the final regular season game there on Sunday, he's going to be back. It's going to be in their building. Anthony Edwards, who did not play well in L.A., you would think they'd bounce back. But same situation for the Bulls, I think Oklahoma City. And Oklahoma City's better. I think the gas is in the tank there for the Thunder. And I think they're going to beat Minnesota come at the second game Friday night. And that's what's going to lead into this playoff preview. And I'll say this right off the bat, whether it's OKC, Minnesota, Chicago, or Miami, they're going to be no match for Milwaukee or Denver. Will they win a game? That is the big question. I'll give them each a game respectfully. Would I be surprised that they get swept out of the postseason? Absolutely not. We know that the eighth seeds in the NBA rarely beat the one seeds, and we could go through history, whether it's the, and that was in a five-game series, when the Kimmy Matumbo and the Denver Nuggets back in 94 beat the Seattle Supersonics, and they were down 0-2 in that series. But that was many moons ago, as we all know, it's best of seven. We have the scenario with the Knicks beating the Heat, as I talked about a couple weeks ago. Now, mind you, the Knicks were an eighth seed, and they were much better than that, but they beat the Heat, and that was their nemesis during that time in the NBA in the late 90s. Then you had the scenario with the Golden State Warriors, the We Believe team that beat the Dallas Mavericks, and Dirk Nowitzki, who was an MVP that year, the year after they went to the NBA Finals. And those are the only scenarios where you had an 8 beat a 1, and I can't see that happening this time around. So, we put both of those series aside, but as we break down the rest, and I'll start from the East. Now, the Hawks just played the Celtics on this past Sunday, and I would think the Celtics with Jalen Brown, who had those stitches, I didn't even talk about that, where I believe it was near his thumb. He's expected to be back, and the Hawks, could I see flashbacks of the 2007-2008? Now, it was 15 years ago, I get it. But remember, the Celtics and Hawks had a first-round series to where, and remember, that was a 1-8 matchup too, where the home team won out, and thankfully the Celtics had the home court because the Hawks gave everything they could handle to the Celtics, and then in the Game 7, they blew their doors off. They won, what, 92-67, whatever it was. So I could see this, maybe the Hawks winning a game, maybe even two games. But I would not be surprised if the Celtics will manhandle the Hawks here They will have what will be six days off. I understand the Hawks will have three to four days since they won their Tuesday night. But I can see the Celtics winning this series. I'll say six, but I would think five. Now six, you know, the hell with it. I'll say five. Now watch it be six, and dare I say go seven. I'll say Celtics and five. Brooklyn and Philly, they also played on Sunday. Philly is going to be raring to go here. And with all the Embiid MVP talk, who I think is going to be the MVP this season. And then you have 
a scenario which would have been sexy with Ben Simmons if he was healthy, could have played against his former team, but we're not going to see that, of course. I think the Nets will win a game. I hate to say it, I can see the Sixers winning this series in five as well. And these two teams played two years ago, and the Sixers were able to take care of them, I believe, in those same five games. New York and Cleveland, that's going to be the matchup here in the East. This could be a long series. I would think at least six, maybe seven. Now the Knicks, with Julius Randle being on the shelf, and Jalen Brunson missing a lot of games here down the stretch. And the Knicks have had a big year. They go into this postseason losing two in a row. That's not a big thing to really sneeze at. I know you want to get a little bit of momentum going into the postseason. And the Cavs, they've had a big year as well. I could see this going, I'm going to say six games. I think the Cavs are going to win in six. I don't know if the Knicks are going to have enough. The Cavs, they have, I think, a little bit more of a cohesive team and a better defensive team. I know Tom Thibodeau, we know the coach of the Knicks, he's a guy that's going to bank on defense. But I think the Cavaliers, now I think the Knicks can win. That's not to say they can't win the series, but I think the Cavs will do just enough and I think that they'll win at least one game at the Garden, maybe even two. Because I wouldn't be surprised if it's 2-2 going back to Cleveland, whether it's the Knicks winning a game one, a game two in Cleveland, and Cleveland winning a game three or four in New York. But I could see them coming back to New York and even winning a game six of the Garden. So that's how I look at the first round in the East. As far as the West, Memphis and the Lakers, this is going to be fascinating from this regard. Remember you had that incident early in the season where Shannon Sharp was heckling the Grizzlies, in particular Dylan Brooks, saying that he couldn't guard LeBron James and Dylan Brooks was already shooting his mouth off. If I'm the coach of the Grizzlies, and we talked about this a few weeks back with the whole John Morant with the gun Instagram video, how that was going to be a pivotal point of this season. If I'm Taylor Jenkins, I would go to Dylan Brooks and say, can you save your talk for on the court as opposed to off the court? And I get it that he is that type of player. He's going to have that irrational confidence to the point where it's going to try to permeate throughout the team. And this is a team that has won nothing in the postseason. I get it that they've had some regular season success over the last two years. But for them to really puff out their chest and think that they've done something in this league when they absolutely haven't, that's where the coach needs to step in and say, guys, can we pump the brakes on this talk? And pretty much what Dylan Brooks said is that, oh, this is the matchup we want. We want L.A. Bring them on, etc. Now, L.A., as we know, and as I talked about, they're a team that can go a long way, or who knows, they could get bounced right here in this round. And for Memphis, who has had another big season, two seed, same situation as last year, whether or not that they're going to be able to thwart the Lakers, and with them not having Steven Adams, is going to be huge because they're going to need that size down low to try to contain Anthony Davis as much as possible. Now, we all know Davis can play the wing. He can make threes. I get it. But having Steven Adams out of the lineup is going to be huge, I think. Could I see this being a seven-game series? Maybe. I'm going to say it goes six. And I'm going to say Memphis wins. I just think the Lakers, can they win this series? Absolutely. And I could see them winning a Game 7 in Memphis. But I think that if the Lakers are going to win this series, they're going to have to take one of these first two games, and they're going to have to win the two games in L.A. 
they cannot let Memphis get back in the series. So what I mean by that is, let's say they win game one, and generally, my rule of thinking is that when you're a big underdog, you want to be a team that wins the odd number games. Now, I understand you want to win the game six in your building because you don't want to have to win a game seven on the road. So when I mean the odd number games, that's games one, three, and five. So if you're the Lakers, you want to win game one because you don't want to have the Grizzlies have any momentum. But let's say if you do win a game one, or even if you steal a game two, now you go back to LA, you want to win game three. Because then you're up 2-1. And then if the series is tied, then you want to win game five to then bring it back to LA to see if you could ice the series and not have to go back to Memphis. That's why if you're a big underdog, the odd number games are crucial in order for a team to win a series. Let's see if the Lakers are going to do that. So let's say if they go to LA 1-1 and they win game three, they must win game four. Because I don't think they're going to go to Memphis to win a game five. That's why it's important for them to get a leg up or even be up to one going into game three with a chance of winning game four in their building so they could go back to Memphis to see maybe they can win a series. But even if they lose with all the pressure on Memphis, they know that they have a game six in their building that they could win. So that's my point there. But I think the Grizzlies are going to win in six. Golden State and Sacramento, I know it's a series everybody's looking at. Everybody's fascinated to see the high-scoring Sacramento Kings and what they've done in the regular season. First time in the postseason in 16 years where the defending champs, 90 minutes away, a bus ride from the Bay Area to Sacramento. And how I look at this series, and it's interesting to think that Golden State is a slight underdog, but if they're going to play the type of defense they've played all year and have the road record to where they were 10-31, and 31, they're not going to win the series. And I get it, it's easy to want to pick Golden State, and there's a part of me that feels I should, but I'm going to pick Sacramento for this reason. Are the Warriors, especially with Andrew Wiggins being out and him coming back, and I know that's going to be a gigantic return For the Warriors, because as you saw there, even in the finals and what he did against the Celtics, not only scoring the ball, but also playing defense, they're going to need that against this team, whether it's against the Aaron Fox, whether it's against the Monta Sabonis, those two guys in particular, because that's their offense. And we understand the other players on the team that are going to contribute, including a one Harrison Barnes, the former Golden State Warrior who won a title there in the 2015-16 season. But this is a team that, for all the metrics and the analytics, had a record-setting offensive season. And yes, this isn't the Chris Webber, Pedro Stoyakovic, Mike Bibby teams of the early 2000s. This is a whole new and improved Kings team. But with that being said, is it tough to pick against the Warriors? It is. But I may be in the minority. I'm going to say Sacramento wins in seven. Because... For everything that I've talked about the Warriors in weeks past, if you listen to the podcast, I don't trust this team. They have not been a good road team. Sacramento's been dying. And that's been a very good building. Maybe not the new one, but the old Arco Arena. Those fans are rabid there. And I understand it's hard to say or hard to even fathom because they have been, I'll say it, NBA Siberia for a decade and a half. But I think that fan base is going to be raring to go. And then it's Golden State on top of that? I think they're going to win in seven. And Golden State's got to show me something defensively. And if they're 
could also play on the road. Can they win this series? Absolutely. I will never discount the heart of a champion, but I could see Sacramento winning, which would not be good for the NBA if Golden State's out in round one. And then you have a very intriguing 4-5 matchup between the Clippers and the Phoenix Suns. Now, who knows what's going to happen with the health of Paul George. That is a huge if. We know he suffered that leg injury a few weeks back. I believe it was against Oklahoma City. And how he responds and how he's able to get back in the lineup is going to be enormous. And if he's going to be healthy and playing, then I think it'll be a more competitive series. Maybe it'll go six or seven games. If he's not going to be there, and if it's going to be all on the shoulders of Kawhi Leonard and even Russell Westbrook to a certain extent, and Westbrook squashed any rumors about beef between he and Kevin Durant, please. That's old news, people. If they want to dredge up those just tired narratives of, okay, Russ, you're going to go up against your former teammate in the playoffs. What is that going to be like? Please. Can we stop with that? And Westbrook, he just didn't even go there when it comes to that. He said, there's no beef. It's just Clippers versus Suns. That's what it's about. It's not me versus Kevin Durant. If there's no Paul George, I could see, I'll say six. I was going to say Suns in five, but I'm going to pick them in six. Because Durant, who has not lost in a Suns uniform, and let's see how far they're going to go. But this is going to be interesting to see what's going to happen here when it comes to the Suns and making a deep postseason run. And a couple of quick things. I know I didn't start with storylines, but I'll go quickly with that before we continue. To me, the storylines are quick and simple. Is Denver a paper tiger? Let's see what they're going to do as a one seed. And they didn't really play well down the stretch, so that's number one, if you ask me, as far as the storyline. Number two is Phoenix. Finals or bust, considering they brought Durant over from Brooklyn, and whether or not he can stay healthy, because that's huge. I talked about it earlier. If Kevin Durant was healthy in that 2019 final, they would have beaten Toronto. And we all know he tried to come back in a game five, and that's where he ruptured his Achilles and he was shot and then Clay Thompson tore his ACL in the game six one where he was otherworldly but if he's healthy they have a good shot to get to a finals but we'll have to wait and see the Celtics they're number three motivated by last year's finals loss especially the two key players Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and also the young coach Joe Mazzulla we understand his situation with his timeouts and how he uses them that's a big question mark but even with a new coach, can the Celtics get back to those lofty heights of getting to a final, maybe winning this year? And if you want to throw in Golden State, is there a run in them? I don't know. I don't trust them. I don't think they have a far run. Even if they win the first round against Sacramento, guess who they play in the second round? Chances are maybe the Phoenix Suns. So I don't even think they get out of that round if they're lucky to be alive after this round against Sacramento. Those are your storylines. And then real quick, My NBA final prior to the start of the year was Brooklyn and the Clippers. And Brooklyn for the obvious reasons with KD, Kyrie, but we all know they were long gone. So if I had to revamp my final, I'll still put the Clippers there. But considering that Brooklyn is not going to get to a final, I would think it's either going to be Milwaukee or Boston that's going to come out of the East. And I would think Denver or Phoenix. So you know what? I'm going to say, give me the big men. Jokic, nah, I didn't even want to do that because that's the two one seeds. And I'm doing this on the fly, people. So I don't want you to think I had this already scripted or I had an outline to be like, all right, who am I going to pick him as an NBA final? I hate to pick Phoenix. I don't want to pick them. 
But I guess I for this discussion, I will. I'm going to say Phoenix and Boston. And I know that's bad because now I put all the pressure on the Celtics as a Celtic fan to see if it gets to a final. You may see a Phoenix-Milwaukee, a redo of the finals two years ago. But I'm going to say Phoenix and Boston are your NBA final. And then one last thing, my over-unders. Can I tell you real quick? Five and one. My only loss was the Utah Jazz. And give it up for Will Hardy. What a year he had as they were still in the mix in the final week or 10 days of the regular season as far as being part of the playing tournament, making it into the postseason, which didn't happen, of course. But my overs were Cleveland 47.5, Denver 49.5, Memphis 48.5, and and my unders, Portland 39.5, Phoenix 52.5, and Utah was 24.5. And And I thought by them trading Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, how could you not think 24.5? They're a team that may win 20 games, and if toward the end of the season, they may be creeping toward that 24 and a half but they had to win 25 and they blew that away probably by early February so 5 and 1 there very good job now let me pivot to the ice as I lace up my skates and the big story here for yours truly are the New York Islanders and boy did they blow a big opportunity there and I thought that they were not going to make it into the postseason they went down to Washington a team that had lost I believe 7 in a row And 10 of 11, where the Islanders were going in, and right out of the gate, a minute and three seconds in, they were down 2-0. And then halfway through the first period, they were down 3-0, and I knew they were not going to climb out of that hole. Yes, they made it a little bit interesting there in the third period. They did get a couple of goals late, but by then it was way too late, and they lost 5-2. And I thought to myself, this team who had been scuffling and battling here over the last month and change, and now they're going to lose to a capital team who they beat 5-1 5-1 two weeks prior. And now the Islander fan had to hope that the Chicago Blackhawks, who have been one of the dregs of the sport this year, had to go into Pittsburgh, a team that now had their playoff destiny right in front of them. And for them to be down one nothing going to, into the third period, they get a goal by Evgeny Malkin to tie the game five minutes in, I believe on a power play. And at that point, I thought either the Penguins are going to win or it's going to go into overtime and they're going to get a point, and then it's going to screw the Islanders because they still have a game against Columbus, even with the Islanders in their game last night against Montreal, but I just thought that even if they get a point, they still would have been in good stead to make it into the playoffs, and as it was, the Blackhawks scored two goals within 26 seconds to extend a 1-1 tie into a 3-1 lead, and then they end up winning 5-2 on Tuesday night, where the Islanders closed out their season, their first team in the NHL to close out the regular season schedule. And for them now, the Canadians come in and they win 4-2. Brock Nelson scores two goals. And then Andrews Lee gets the power play goal late to extend the lead to 4-2. Islander fans rejoice. They make it into the postseason after a year where they didn't make it last year. And everybody could celebrate, maybe not for long because... We're going to have to wait and see what happens tonight down in Florida between the Hurricanes and Panthers because if the Hurricanes win, then the Islanders will have the fortunes of going to Carolina in the first round because they'll have the number one wildcard seed in the Eastern Conference. If the Panthers win, then the Islanders will have the misfortune of going to Boston to play the Bruins, and we all know the season that they've had. Record setting, wins, point total, as they eclipse the 
Tampa Bay Lightning in both of those numbers, 63 wins and 133 points as they have right now. They have one more game against the Canadians in Montreal tonight to see if they could get a 64th win and have 135 points total in this 2022-2023 NHL season. And listen, it is going to be a tough chore whether the Islanders have to go to Carolina or Boston to get past them. And we'll talk about it more on Monday because the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs will begin then. I'll have an overview, break it all down, go through all the series as we get set and get ready for that to begin. But right now, all I could say is that thankfully the Islanders made it to the playoffs. If they would have not made it to the playoffs, it would have been just a tough way to end their season knowing that they were lost in Washington to a team that was out to sea over the last two and a half weeks of their season and a team that as I mentioned they beat just two weeks prior for them to lose it that way and let's say if the Penguins would have won and then the Islanders won last night yes they would have been in the driver's seat but then they would have had to hope that Columbus won the night it just would have been a disaster and as it is right now they go into this postseason 0-0 zero and zero with a shot to see whether or not they could pull off an upset in which they can but we'll talk more about that on Monday And then Winnipeg secured the second seed in the West as Calgary lost to Vancouver and Nashville earlier this week, which pretty much set them back big time. And then Winnipeg was able to go ahead and beat Minnesota, which was big because not only did they get their second seed in the Western Conference where Seattle has the one seed, but it screwed Minnesota from getting a division title because they're not going to get that. That was a, a tough loss for them to see if they could try to get a one seed and maybe even contend for the top spot in the West. But as it is right now, into the final, really tonight is the final game. Tomorrow we have two meaningless games. But as we take a look for the division races, tonight, let's see what happens. If the Carolina Hurricanes do lose and the Devils win, they'll have the one seed. And interestingly enough, if that happens and the Islanders get the seventh slot, But then again, now that I think about it, that won't happen because if Carolina loses, then the Panthers will play the Devils where the Islanders will still have to play Boston. So if Carolina wins, they're going to win a division, so they're going to play them regardless. But let's just say if Carolina loses and the Devils win, they'll have the one seed and they will end up playing the Panthers there in the first round. Then you'll have the Rangers play Carolina. We'll wait to see how that shakes down over the course of these next 24 hours. We all know that the Bruins are going to be waiting either the Panthers or Islanders in the first round. Toronto, who beat Tampa a couple nights ago, they will face the Lightning, and that's going to be a very interesting storyline. You know that I'm going to hammer home come Monday. So keep that in mind as we look ahead to the Stanley Cup playoffs and how that's going to fare for the Maple Leafs going in as one of the as one of the excuse me, top storylines of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then out west. Like I said, Minnesota will be entrenched in the three seed. They'll play either Colorado or Dallas. And Colorado does have a game in hand with Dallas. So for Dallas to win their final game, and I believe it's against St. Louis, they're not out of the woods. Because if Colorado wins the final two games, they'll have 109 points to Dallas' 108. So they'll have the top spot in the Central. And then if Vegas wins tonight they will have the top spot in the conference because they'll have 111 points 
where if Edmonton wins their game and they've won eight in a row and Vegas loses, the tiebreaker, they'll have the same record. So I have to go to tiebreakers. So Edmonton, there could be a possibility to where they get the one seed. And who knows, they may get the one seed overall if Colorado loses one of their final two. Because remember, if either Vegas or Edmonton wins, we'll get to see how that, or excuse me, if Vegas loses and Edmonton wins, either one of those two teams may have the one seed overall. If Colorado wins their final two games, they will also have 109 points. We have to see where they match as far as tiebreakers with the other two teams in the Pacific. So we will break that all down on Monday as far as who is going to have that top seed, who's going to be playing who, especially when it comes to those wild card teams with the top two teams in each division, winning those divisions and who they fare against the wild card teams. As it is, we know Minnesota is going to play the winner of Colorado or Dallas. As we know, the Kings are going to play the winner of Vegas or Edmonton. And as I mentioned, we will have it all for you come Monday, a complete storyline recap of what took place here in this final day of the NHL season. And I'll take a look at the schedule real quick. So when we look at those key teams that are going to battle it out, you have out West, San Jose's at Edmonton, LA at Anaheim. So that could be two wins there. So if LA beats Anaheim, they're going to have the division. If they lose, then Edmonton wins, as we talked about. Vegas is at Seattle. Seattle has nothing to play for. Who knows? I'm sure they're going to rest some players. So that's going to be big. We'll have to wait and see how that shakes down. Then you have Winnipeg at Colorado, who they've already clinched. But who knows? Maybe they want to gain some momentum. So that's going to be an interesting game there tonight. St. Louis at Dallas, as I mentioned. So we'll wait to see what's going to happen there. So that's an easy game for the Stars to win. But even if they do win... If Colorado, and I believe they play tomorrow night, yes, they're in Nashville, and Nashville obviously has nothing to play for. So we shall see. It is all up in the air, and it's kind of tough to gauge because maybe Nashville will look at that game as trying to play spoiler, or are they already in vacation mode planning their trip to Turks and Caicos if you're the Predators? One more time, come Monday, we will have it all broken down and ready to go there for the Stanley Cup playoffs to begin. And speaking of over-unders, as the NHL season has concluded, and even with the Islanders making it to the postseason and finishing off with 93 points, I picked them as an under, and their over-under was 94.5. So I just made that by just a hair. And at one point, I was going to be 1-5 with my over-unders, but I ended up being a respectable 3-3, where my wins were Minnesota, 99.5 was an over, as well as the Rangers, 99.5 is an over. So I won those, and the Islanders was the one under that I got. My losses were Florida, 104.5 as an over. And my two unders were the Devils, blew that out of the water, 88.5. And the Kraken blew that out of the water as their number was 81.5. So NBA, very good, 5-1. and one. NHL, eh, run-of-the-mill, 3-3. Three and three. Now let me turn to baseball, as I talked about on Monday, the Rays are the hot topic, as I put on my cleats and batting gloves. What more can you say about this streak? They continue to win in ways, whether it's 1-0, 2-1, 7-2, last night. It's not as if this team, and I thought that this team's offense was not going to be its biggest 
strength. But as we've seen so far, and they've outscored their opponents by just ridiculous numbers. But their offense, and I still think, just like any Major League Baseball team, they're going to have their stretches where they're going to be from hunger. And I get it when you have guys like Brandon Lau, Wander Franco, Randy Rosarena. I mean, they have a decent lineup. But it's not as if they're the 27 Yankees by any stretch. It's not as if they rank among the top. Now, I get it. It's all about runs scored. And if we're going to look at the metrics, I would think that they're, if not number one, but they're going to be up at the top or near the top of all the categories when it comes to offense. But we know that this team is going to be based on pitching. It's going to be based on their bullpen. That's their biggest strength. And what we've seen here so far is a 12-0 start. They're one win away from tying the 82 Atlanta Braves and the 87 Milwaukee Brewers for 13-0. Best start since the turn of the century, last century. And I said it on Monday, smoke and mirrors, or is this legit? Now, nobody's going to confuse the Red Sox of a few years ago when they went to a World Series. And obviously, their opponents before that, whether they're the Detroit Tigers, Washington Nationals, or the Oakland A's, please, they are far from world beaters in their own right. But the Red Sox, we know they have a decent lineup and some decent pitching. But here they are. They've swept them to this point. They have an afternoon game before they go to Toronto later this evening. And I think that the Rays, they're going to continue their good fortune and go 13-0 to match that, I would think, in my gut. But then they're going to go to Toronto and they're going to lose for two reasons. One, this streak has to end. And would it, I'd be surprised if they lose this afternoon? Absolutely not. But I would think... Based on what has transpired here, and I'm sure they've heard 13-0, and I'm sure they're going to want to match that and even surpass that, so I'll give it up. And I have to look at the pitching matchup just to get a better idea, and I'll take a look at that right now. And one more time, it's a getaway day game for both the Red Sox and Rays. Corey Kluber against Jeffrey Springs. And Jeffrey Springs, I believe, in his last start, didn't he flirt with a no-hitter? In fact, well, he gave up three hits in his last start, but he has been phenomenal. In fact, that was his first start where he had a no-hitter. Because when you look at his numbers so far, he's 2-0 with an ERA of zero, and his numbers, 13 innings, three hits, four walks, 19 strikeouts. And Corey Kluber, as we all know, is now a journeyman pitcher, so I would think they're going to be in good shape today to win that game. And then they have another young pitcher up there, Pipeline, Todd Bradley, who pitched yesterday and pitched fairly well. I know the Red Sox scored a bunch of runs there late in the game, but I would think they're going to win today and then go to Toronto. Like I mentioned, one of two reasons. A, they're due to lose. And B, Toronto is finally going home after starting their first three series on the road in which they started 6-4. and four. I know that fan base is going to be rabid and raring to go, especially with that disappointment in the postseason last year where they lost to Seattle, especially in that game two where they had an 8-1 lead. And there have been... Some refurbishments there in the Rogers Center where they weren't going to get a new building. They figured, hey, this is the Sky Dome once upon a time. This was the creme de la creme when it came to retractable roofs where they had the hotel in center field. All of that, well, they've revamped it. They put however many millions of dollars into that building to kind of make it state-of-the-art and keep up with the Joneses with all the new ballparks that have been littered throughout the sport. But for Toronto, who I know are going to be ready to play against Tampa, and I would think they're going to have some sellouts up there, this streak is going to come to an end. If not today, 
at some point over the weekend. I'd be shocked if I come back on Monday and the Tampa Bay Rays are 16-0. Let's just put it that way. So that's your first note there when it comes to baseball. A couple other things I want to talk about. And do I even want to spend time on this? I know that... Let me spend literally two minutes. Edwin Diaz in an interview said that he hopes to return this season. All I will say is, I'll believe it when I see it. And I get it, that surgery went well, and that his right knee is responding, he's feeling okay, but we're just getting started with the rehab. I don't even know if he's gone into rehab just yet. And he says that he's going to want to pitch before the end of the year. Does that mean if the Mets make it to October, he's going to be ready come wild card or even division series at that point? Who knows? Listen, I love his attitude. I love his spunk. I love that he wants to get back there as soon as possible to show the fan base, to show even the organization that they gave me $100 million, the biggest contract to any reliever in the history of the sport, how he wants to be a part of it. God bless him. I hope that's the case. I want to be wrong, but he's coming off of a patella tendon. Eight months is the expected return. And eight months from the time he injured his knee, which was what, the middle of March, that's the middle of November. The season will be long gone by then. So, hey, miracles can happen. Rod Woodson had torn his ACL week one of the NFL season, 1995, and he came back to play in the Super Bowl. So, and medicine and rehab has changed exponentially in the 27 years since that injury. So who knows? But one more time, I'll believe it when I see it. And speaking of injuries, I talked about O'Neal Cruz of the Pirates. He's going to be out now four months with that fractured ankle, so you would think mid-August. That was a tough break because the Pirates have gotten off to a very good start for them. There was 6-3 coming into this week, and so far with how they fared since then, the Pirates in the NL Central have, all right, maybe taken a step back. They've lost two out of three. As they had their week series, I believe they were, yes, against the Astros, where they got shut out there yesterday, and the Astros took two or three, so let's see if they could turn their early season fortunes to the positive side, because they were four and six going into that series. So, as for the Pirates, losing a key player like that, that is always one that's tough to swallow, especially for a young franchise. But for the rest of the sport, I'm not going to get into too much. We all know it's about Tampa at the moment. I know the Jays, I said 6-4, and four, they were actually 8-4 and four going into, so they had 12 games here on the road. Now they get some home cooking to start off their year, which I'm sure they're going to be just firing on all cylinders. So we'll wait to see how that's going to play out. And let me see, what else could I discuss? That is pretty much it. National League, I know the Braves, I know the Mets won 2 out of 3 against San Diego. Okay, fine. And the Diamondbacks continue to play well. But that's what you got there in baseball. And I want to wrap up with some NFL notes As the draft is two weeks from tonight, I know all the draft Knicks are going to be predicting who's going to go where and so on and so forth, the quarterbacks, etc. The one thing I want to discuss, for starters, is the Colts have said that they're focusing on the draft and they've laid low when it comes to Lamar Jackson. If I'm the Colts and their hierarchy, I wouldn't even go near Lamar Jackson. And not because of his talent, not because of his capability, all that. 
Why do you want to give up your fourth overall and a number one next year? And who knows how good the Colts are going to be, even with Lamar Jackson? I would think they'll be better than, what were they, 4-12-1 last year? But you don't want to give up the farm and back up the Brinks truck to plop $200 million into his bank account, which is going to be the cost to get Lamar Jackson. So stick with the fourth overall pick. Whichever quarterback that you like, draft him, and away you go. And you'll have your pick for next year, and who knows how much you'll... Get better this year, even with your quarterback in tow. That is it. So if you're the Indianapolis Colts, don't even go near Baltimore to try to... And that's another thing, too. It's Baltimore. I get it that it's the former Cleveland Browns. But if you're Indianapolis, you don't want to deal with Baltimore. Because if you remember many moons ago, the Indianapolis Colts were formerly the Baltimore Colts. And they left in the middle of the night to go to Indianapolis. As you see in the documentaries and all the footage of the Mayflower truck leaving the old Baltimore Colts facility going into Indianapolis. You don't want to have that type of karma hanging over your shoulders if you ask me. And I get it. I'm sure the Ursays are going to look at that and be like, oh, that was 40 years ago. I don't care. You own the team then and you still own the team now. So do you want to have Lamar Jackson come to your team? Trade away picks, give $200 million, and then Lamar is hurt later in the year, as you've seen the last couple of years, and not finish seasons, and then not make it to the playoffs. Give up your first round pick for the following year. You don't want to deal with all that. So stick to your guns, draft to your quarterback, and don't even worry about Lamar Jackson. So that's note number one. The second thing is, I didn't talk about this on Monday, but Tyreek Hill... He mentioned that he's going to play out his contract with the Dolphins and then retire after the 2025 season. Is that big news? It is not. But I will say this. You have a lot of players that have been retiring over the last X amount of years, and we could go through the list. But you got to wonder. I understand come training camp and whatever they do here this offseason and what they've done so far. I know Mike White and they're bringing Tua back. I get it. But you do have to wonder. They also brought in Jalen Ramsey. Can't forget that. But if Tyreek Hill is already looking at the finish line, that's not a good sign. And I get it. 2025 is still three seasons. You still have this season, 24, and then 25. But who knows? He's going to cash in on the money that he already got. What is it? $120 million contract, whatever, 80, 90 million guaranteed. But who knows? He's already got his money. And it's quite possible that if he has a bad season for him or gets banged up and is not healthy, and even though he's not going to leave that money on the table, but if he's getting 80 to $90 million guaranteed, then he can say the hell with it. He's going to go off and wants to get into gaming and things of that nature and think about the next chapter of his life. So who knows? That's something just to keep in the back of your skulls, Dolphin fans and NFL fans, that if Tyreek Hill has one of those years where it was rough, tough, they didn't make it to the postseason for whatever the reason, and says, the hell with this, I want out now. I already got my money. I'm good. I'm going to invest in other ventures of my life. And so be it. So that's something just to keep in mind. The Lions traded their corner, Jeff Okuda, who they drafted a few years ago in the 2020 season out of Ohio State, to Atlanta for a fifth-round pick. So talk about a bad return. I understand he was a guy that was hurt a lot, especially in the early part of his career. Didn't make a contribution there last year, but they said the hell with it. They knew that contract time was coming up where they would have to give him an extension, and they figured, let's just cut bait and trade him, and that's what they did. So kudos to them. Let's see how Akuda does in Atlanta. As we all know, they made a bunch of wholesale changes there in the ATL. And then lastly, Devin White requesting a trade out of Tampa. Who knows what that's going to mean? 
if they're going to grant him that wish. I know he has one more year left of his fifth year deal, and I'm sure a lot of it has to do with not getting a big time extension. We know that the Buccaneers, they are well over the cap based on this recent run of making it to the postseason, winning a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and then having the fallout of Brady's retirement, dead cap money, a lot of players who had to be cut here throughout the course of this offseason, and now they're stuck with possibly having to go ahead and trade their number one pick from 2019, I believe, and they may have to do that because they're not going to be able to pay unless they're going to go ahead and revamp some salaries or do some manipulating to get them under the cap because I believe they were $35 million over. So who knows if Devin White's going to have a new address here in the days and weeks to come, especially leading up to the draft because maybe there'll be a taker come draft time to where they could get some compensation back. Maybe they could replenish the middle linebacker position where he plays with a middle round pick. Who knows? But with the draft two weeks away, there's going to be a lot of talk and a lot of speculation, rumors leading up to that day. And as we all know, that's almost a holiday where the NFL draft is going to be in Kansas City for everyone that's going to rejoice about the NFL. As we know, it reigns supreme. It's the shield, as I like to call it, because they are impenetrable. But thankfully, we don't have to worry about that for another couple of weeks. But I thought I would highlight those few NFL news and notes leading into what will be, I'm sure, a lot of talk over the next couple of weeks leading into that NFL draft. And that'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books, as always. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for your contribution. Just listening to yours truly. Babble away about sports. Your participation is never, ever taken for granted. With that said, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. You know what that's going to do as far as increasing the visibility of this podcast. Share it with the sports fan in your life. Hit me up on social media. Also, with a screenshot, whatever it may be, I would greatly appreciate it. And speaking of socials, you can hit me up on any of the following. On YouTube, at JReels. On Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, or by email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, suggestions, send them my way. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is and Paul, A T is and Tom, R E O N is and Nancy dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this production, upkeep of the website, the equipment, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, if you couldn't tell over the past hour, this is what I love to do, people. This is in the blood. It's in the DNA. As I like to say, I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. And I'm going to continue to make that ascent in this podcast universe to get to where I'm a household name, to get to where I belong, to know that my passion, fire, fury, and energy is unlike any other when I share my thoughts, opinions, Feelings, analysis, critique, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.